Amen. You ever think about it, that as a Christian, you have a king? You ever think about that? You know, the last six years, maybe eight years, been a lot of worry in our country, around the world, about uh, the president. Boy, a lot of talk about this president and that president. And, uh, you know, I guess those things do need our concern from time to time. But the truth of the matter is we have a king. Amen. And if I think if we worried more about our king and rested in the fact of who our king is, we'd worry less about uh, the presidency and politics. I have a king. By the way, there's nobody above him. Amen. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And look, he's mine. Amen. He's mine. If you're saved, he's yours. And all the other authorities and dominions in this world, they are under him. And what a blessing that is to know that our God is all-powerful. And he's in control of all things. He's a sovereign God. He has power, he has control, and all these things that are happening around us that worry us and cause us to doubt and fear, not only does our Father know about them, uh, he had them planned long in advance. And our Father's plan is unfolding right before our eyes, and I'm kind of hoping that before too terribly long, the end of the plan is going to come to pass where he comes to take us home. So with that, I hope you're ready. Amen. I hope that you know what this season is all about. That that child who was born to come to bear the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, I hope you've trusted him as your personal savior. And if you haven't, you'll have an opportunity to do that just today. So let's jump in the word if we could. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, when you find it, let's go ahead and stand. And uh, do pray for my voice this morning. It is going out a little bit. And uh, I told Brother Michael that a moment ago, and per Brother Michael's wit, he says, if God could give the voice to a donkey, uh, he could give a voice to you. And I said, it wouldn't take much more, would it? I mean, we're not far off there, but pray for that. I told Brother Danny Coach yesterday, I may not be able to chase as many rabbits today because I have a limited amount of voice, but excited about the message the Lord's given us today and looking forward to sharing with you uh, one more message on our series of Emmanuel, God still with us. Amen. Aren't you glad that our God is still with us? And we're going to look at scripture this morning that I hope encourages you. I pray that all three of these messages have encouraged you that that child who came and was born and lived and died and rose again for us promised us that, lo, I'm with you always. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, That we're not going through what we're going through alone. The burdens that you're bearing in 2022, you're not bearing them alone. Uh, Your father is there with us. He said, I'll not leave you comfortless. And I'm afraid today that a lot of us are acting that way, that our father has left us comfortless. I know there's heartaches and burdens. I'm not, listen, I'm not underplaying any of that. I know that we have real heartaches and burdens. Uh, But listen, our Father hasn't left us comfortless. He's not left us. He promised to be with us. And this morning we're going to learn from some folks who needed to be reminded of just that. Luke chapter 24, the context is right after the resurrection of Christ, the news is breaking. Uh, you look down to verse number 13, where we begin the verse before that, we have Peter going to the sepulcher, <clears throat> excuse me, and finding it empty. We're going to pick up in verse 13, the Bible says, Luke 24, and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they walked together, the Bible, the Bible says they talked together of all the things which had happened. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, watch this, Jesus himself drew near. He was with them. He was present with them. The Bible says, and went with them. 
but their eyes were whole. And that means the Lord did not allow them to really grasp who he was yet, who, that he would be revealed. The Bible says their eyes were whole and that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast thou hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. How the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. I want you to listen to what they say in verse 21. But we trusted that it had been he which should be have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain of the women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. I want you to watch Jesus' response to their demeanor, the countenance the people had. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Keep reading. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures these things concerning himself. For the sake of time, let's skip down a few moments after he shares with them through Scripture about all the things they've experienced had to happen. The Bible says in verse 31, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I do thank you so much for this Scripture, because Father, I do see myself here. Father, I pray you'd help us see ourselves today in your word. that We might, Lord, know how we need to be changed, and Lord, there's not a one of us here today that doesn't need to be changed. Something in our life, something in our heart, something in our mind, something about our countenance. Lord, something needs to be changed. And Lord, through your word, we can be. And I pray we'd open our hearts today to be changed by that. I pray that none of us would hold anything back today. But Father, as your word is preached and your Holy Spirit goes from chair to chair up each aisle and each row, that Lord, as it brings to us, Lord, the change that we need to bring, that Lord, help us bring that today and accept it and receive it. Help us leave here encouraged today because we do serve a risen Savior who's ever with us. And I pray that, Father, that would give us strength and courage to live a life boldly and courageously for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I've, I've never been anyone else. I've always been me, so I don't know how you feel and how things are when you read your Bible. When I read my Bible, a lot of times I see a lot of the do's and don'ts in there. Could we agree they're in there? And a lot of times the reason people don't like the Bible is because they believe it's just a rule book of things you have to do and things you can't do. And it's just God's massive rule book for how to make our life miserable. I think sometimes we look at it that way. But as we read the Word of God, I do believe it's important. I think I mentioned that in, in my prayer a moment ago that we see ourselves. God preserved for us the accounts and events of other people's lives that we could compare our lives to their lives and see their humanity and our humanity and see the change that he brought in their life, which is the same change that God desires to bring in our life. Aren't you glad that he loved these people enough to help bring about a change in their countenance and their life and that same change he desires to bring it in our life if we'll see the message that he's preserved for us here today. Now, we know the context. It's shortly after the resurrection. You don't have to be a theologian to read between the lines and see these people are not in a good place in their life. 
As we read, the Bible says that Jesus asked them in verse 17. He says, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another? And as you walk, it says you're sad. You're sad. You look down at verse 21, you can see the discouragement that they've got. All that they're going through has robbed them of their confidence. What, what they had believed and what they had experienced and what they had trusted in, that confidence is gone. The circumstances of their life right now have just sucked out all of their joy and their hope and the anticipation of what God was desiring to do. And by the way, what God was still doing. Just because they didn't understand it didn't mean God wasn't still working. Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad that I don't have to understand why I go through what I'm going through to understand that God is still working through what I'm going through. And that even though I can't figure out my circumstances, and even though sometimes circumstances are painful and circumstances are confusing that, God is not still behind the scenes working in my circumstances. What's amazing is these people, as they walk kind of down and out, uh, they're kind of just singing the blues a little bit because of the circumstances they just experienced. They had no clue that Jesus was drawing near. And he was about to give them what they needed. But here's what's amazing. <clears throat> if you look down, the Bible says in verse 15, as, as they're making this sad journey back to Emmaus from Jerusalem, the Bible says Jesus himself drew near and went with them. They didn't realize that the very presence of Jesus was with them. And while they were singing the blues and they were down and out about their circumstances and how bad things were going, Christ was about to change their whole perspective. By the way, aren't you glad God can do that? No matter what your perspective is and what you're going through and how doom and gloomy it seems, God can change your perception. God can change your outlook. And can I tell you what it all hinged on? It all hinged on the very presence of Christ. Christ's presence in their circumstances, Christ's presence uh, in, the, in, the, in the situation they were in is about to change everything. We're, we get to the end of it, by the way, we're going to end on a happy note today. Don't you like that? I like ending on a happy note. That doesn't mean you're getting out early. Okay, you're like, yeah, we're getting out 412 today. I got an even better one than that. We're going to end on a happy note. Everything you're reading about these people is about to be changed 180 degrees. They're doom and gloom. They're down and out. Everything's falling apart. The situation's bad. It's going to be turned over 180 degrees, all because they realized who they were in the presence of. I believe this morning that a lot of us are on a road to Emmaus. The circumstances of life, whether it be of the last uh, three, four years of our world being in chaos, our circumstances have got us doom and gloom. Maybe it's something with your job. Maybe it's a burden of your heart. And you're on a road to Emmaus this morning. Your heart is heavy. You're confused. You don't know exactly what lies ahead. And all the circumstances say, hey, things are falling apart. I want you to know if you'll just realize the very presence of God in your life, it can turn everything around. I read a story years ago <clears throat> about Billy Graham. He was preaching a message about the reality of God and the presence of God in our lives. And he had someone come up to him. And they said, Billy, don't you know that the way you speak, you speak as if he's still alive. Don't you know that they killed Jesus? They crucified him and they put him in the tomb. And the reason that the world is in the shape it's in is because God's dead. Billy Graham said, I know nothing. And I quote, I know nothing of his death because I just spoke to him this morning. You see, the very presence of God was real in his life. 
And regardless of the world that we're living in, the presence of God and realizing that Emmanuel, God with us, is Emmanuel, God still with us, will change your perspective no matter what circumstances you're going through. Now, one week we're going to celebrate <clears throat> the birth of Emmanuel. Can I tell you, God is still with us this morning. He's still with us. Next Sunday, we're going to commemorate and, and celebrate the birth of Emmanuel. But I'll promise you, every Sunday we come to this church, every Wednesday we come to this church, we're celebrating Emmanuel, a God that is still with us. And I don't know, I don't know what your road may be like this morning. But I'll just about bet you uh, that there's a time, maybe this week, maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, maybe two years ago, maybe two years from now, you're going to find yourself on a road to Emmaus where your circumstance is going to get you down and out, and you're going to be having a conversation like verse 17. What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? Can I tell you, I believe Jesus wants you to know that he's near, that he hasn't gone anywhere. And just because you don't understand the circumstances going on around you doesn't mean that God's not still working in them. And if you'll realize that God is still with us, it'll change the way that you see the road ahead, and I believe this morning God's going to show us how to be encouraged by realizing Emmanuel, God is still with us. Now, what I want you to do is look at three things today that God's presence will do in your life. I've already given you about six of them the last two weeks. I'm going to give you three more today. We look down to verse 17, Jesus draws near, and he asks them, basically, why are you talking this way? Why is your countenance the way it is? Why are you sad? That's what he's asking them. In spite of all that they're going through, Christ comes up to them and begins to ask them about their spirit. He says, your countenance is not good. Your spirit's not good. Your communication's not good. Could you tell me why you're going what you're going through? Well, they begin telling in verse 18, 19, and 20 about all that had happened. And look down at verse 21. I want you to hear the spirit of what they're saying. But we trusted. Does that not sound past tense to you? We trusted that it had, as a past tense word, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside this, today is the third day since these things were done. Can I tell you what had happened? Their circumstances and not understanding what was going on had allowed doubt to creep in. Doubt began to undermine their faith. And then suddenly, watch this, everything changes when Christ appears. When you realize this morning that God is still with us, can I tell you what it will do? Number one, God's presence confronts our doubts. When you realize that who we have with us has not gone anywhere. That he says, lo, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you realize that just as back then... We have the very presence of God, Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is with us. Suddenly, God's presence will confront the doubts in your life. Can I tell you this morning, if there's one thing that will rob you of the opportunities of the will of God in your life, if there's one thing that will rob you of the optimism toward the will of God for your life, it's doubt. It's doubt. If you're not careful, you'll get your focus on your circumstances rather than your focus on the presence of God in your life. And after a while, your circumstances have allowed doubt to creep in and undermine your faith that you had before the circumstances. Is that not what happened to Peter when he began to sink in the water? 
Oh, he had faith. There was Jesus. He was in the presence of Jesus. And then he took his eyes off of Jesus and the presence of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he focused on the storm. What happened? He began to sink. He began to get down and get low. But can I tell you something? Jesus never went anywhere. There was no reason for Peter to get discouraged and fearful why Jesus was still there. And in your focus on the presence of God in your life, suddenly his presence will confront your doubts that come your way. I love reading about Gideon. He's one of my heroes. I can't wait to meet him when I get to heaven. Because two, I don't know if we'll get autographs when we get to heaven, but Gideon's one I'm going to get if we can. You think about the great opportunity that Gideon was given. I want you to be the guy that, that leads the resistance to deliver our people. What an opportunity. I mean, hey, all of us would like to be picked of God to do something, wouldn't we? I think even the most backslidden Christian in here this morning, there's something inside of you that desires to be used of God. Man, I wish God would use me for something like that. And then suddenly God gives you an opportunity. And then we're like, I don't know if I can do that. That's what Gideon did. Gideon's like, you know who you're talking to? All right? Uh, I'm not the guy, you know. We always think about the guys, the eloquent. You know, we always think about the guys who have the skills and, and all of these things. God says, no, I, I just want somebody who will believe that I can do it through them. All right? So God gave him an opportunity. What undermined the opportunity? Gideon doubted. Doubt will undermine the opportunities that God's given you right now, but you're letting circumstances speak louder than your certainty in God. And then all of a sudden God says, Gideon, look, you're going to deliver the people. By the way, you're going to do it with 300 men. Can I tell you, when God gives you an opportunity, you ought to have some optimism. All right? When God gives you an opportunity, you ought to be optimistic about that. You know, you shouldn't sit back and say, well, I don't know if we can do it with 300 men. No, you ought to be optimistic that God says you can. All right? You know, it's like that old debate years ago uh, where the, uh, uh, the agnostics tried to debunk that God drowned Pharaoh in the Red Sea. They said it was just a reed sea, and it was five inches deep there. It wasn't a full sea. And oh, somebody had enough God in them to think, you know what, if God could drown an entire army uh, in less than five inches of water, that shows even how much more greater he is than we thought he was. You ought to have some optimism about the opportunities that God gives you. Why aren't we optimistic? Why are we, verse 17, we're acting like God died. The economy's bad, yes, all right. Politics are bad, corruptness on both sides of the aisle. Yes, I get it. Your dog may have died this week. I don't know. You may have had a flat tire this week. You might have sold out. I can't find the Little Debbie Christmas cakes anywhere. I told the Sunday school class this morning, whoever in here is hoarding them, cough some up. We need them for the outdoor service tonight. It's kind of a tradition. I've gone to every dollar general, every family dollar, every corner market, and every Windex saying they're not there. We can't find Christmas cakes. The world's falling apart. But God hasn't died. That's the way we're acting. They're walking. Can I ask you something this morning? Can I ask you the same thing Jesus asked? What manner of communications are these that you walk and have to another as you walk in or sad? I mean, most Christians today, verse 17 describes their demeanor. It describes our demeanor. The world's over. God's died. The economy's falling apart. No, Emmanuel, God is still with us. He hasn't gone anywhere. Why are we acting? I'll tell you why we're focused on our circumstances. Charles Spurgeon said this, it seems to me that doubt is worse than trial. I had sooner suffer any affliction than to be left to question the gospel or my own interest in it. You know the most dangerous thing about doubt is? Doubt doesn't just attack one part of your life. Doubt will undermine your whole life. 
You know, you have an affliction. Uh, say you have a broken arm, that affects that part of your body, but you know you still have this one, you can still function. You know, maybe you get a, maybe you get a splinter in your toe, it affects your toe, but you know, the rest of your body functions well. Can I tell you what doubt will do? It will undermine your whole life. I'll give you an example, probably the most, uh, most often asked question that I get concerning this thing of doubt is when people doubt their salvation. They doubt their salvation. And can I tell you, if you don't know that you're saved, number one, you need to nail that down today. All right? You nail it down today. If you're saved, or maybe you're doubting your salvation this morning, if you don't nail that down, that doubt is going to undermine every part of your spiritual life. Doubt will do that. Why? Because watch, salvation is so much more than heaven, isn't it? Right? All right? When we get saved, we get all of these things that come from where? Of God. We get the power of God. Aren't you glad? All right? I'm thankful for that. Power of God. You get the peace of God. Right? Uh, Then we get to live by the plan of God. Watch this. All of those things are going to be in limbo in your life until you know you are of God. You see? And then once you nail down that I am of God, that means the power of God is mine. The peace of God is mine. And I can move forward in the plan of God. Why? Because I'm of God. You see, you nail that down and then you can move forward. I know Christians who don't have much power in their life. Why? They haven't nailed down their salvation. Their doubt, their wishy-washy about it you got to nail it down. You're not, how can you have power in something that you don't know that you have? You know, I don't have a whole lot of stock in getting any of your children's inheritance. Why? Because I'm not your child. Now, if you want to give me some, you're welcome to. You know, go to the lawyer, draw it up in the will, you know, and I'll, I'll be glad to, uh, to take whatever silverware you have, you know, in your will. But can I tell you something? I don't put a whole lot of hope in something that's not mine. But you know, the Bible says that when I got saved, I became a son of God. An heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. And so therefore, watch this, I am entitled to all the things that are of God. Why? Because he's my father. And I can look forward to them in confidence. Why? Because I don't have any doubt who I belong to. You see, doubt will undermine everything. Here these people are on their doom and gloom road to Emmaus, and they've allowed doubt to creep in. And suddenly Jesus reminds them that he's there. If you would, look down at verse 17. Notice their conversation and their countenance. Their communications are down. He says, you're sad. Your countenance is down. Look at verse 21. Their confidence is down. I look around today. I see so many Christians. Their conversation, their countenance, and their confidence are all down. Do you know what that ought to tell us today? That our confidence was in something that let us down. Would you put it up there and listen to that one more time? If our confidence is down, notice their conversation, and and you notice their countenance was down. It was in something other than something that hasn't left them, which is the presence of God. By the way, I think this morning one of the best things that can happen to us is when God jerks the rug out from under us, and we have our confidence in so many other things, and God jerks the rug out for us to realize our confidence was not in him. But when our confidence is in him, who will never leave us nor forsake us, he's always there with his power and his peace. I can move forward with his plan. Why? He's not going anywhere. Some of you almost smiled on that one. I'm going to work a little harder maybe on point two, and you'll get excited about the presence of God in your life. I believe this morning the reason doubt is so dangerous is because doubt is the opposite of faith. Doubt is the opposite of faith. Do you know if they had had faith in what God said, they wouldn't have been down and out? Doubt is dangerous because it's the opposite of faith. Opposite of faith, And can I tell you, faith and belief is the only way that we access the resources of God. How did you get saved? 
Well, you, got, you were really good, came to church three times a week, you got baptized, and that's how you got saved. No, no, no. You got saved the same way the Philippian jailer got saved. You believed. You accessed salvation, or by grace are you saved through faith. You did that through belief and faith. That's how you got saved. You can't access it without belief. By the way, that's how you access all of God's resources. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please him. You can't do the will of your father without believing and having faith. And doubt undermines all of that. But oh, when you realize your God's not gone anywhere. God is not dead, as the song said, nor does he sleep. God, you need to wake up. The world's falling apart. He never went to sleep. God's been on the job ever since he got here. And God's going to be on the job long before you and I ever grace this planet. And if we desire to move forward, not like verse 17, with our confidence down, our conversation down, and our countenance down, we're going to have to realize it's the presence of God that confronts our doubts. Someone said this, you cannot touch heaven with unbelief and doubt. You can't touch heaven. You will never touch the promises, the resources of God. You'll never touch it in unbelief and doubt. At some point, you just got to believe the God who said he'd never leave you is going to make sure you have what you need. He's going to guide you every step of the way. Lo, I'm with you always. You say, but God, my best friend doesn't like me anymore, and my mom and dad have disowned me. Can I tell you something? You can still have confidence. Why? Because he'll never leave you nor forsake you. I can move forward in the will of God. I know people this morning, oh, what a blessing it was this week. This past week, I stood at the bedside of Miss Gloria Ballard. Went home to be with her Lord. Brother Bado and I stood there. Before we left, we sang Amazing Grace with her. And she wasn't speaking a whole lot. But boy, we started singing Amazing Grace. She began opening her mouth and saying the words. She knew that she wasn't very far from leaving this life and going on to a much better one. She wasn't panicked. She wasn't worried. She wasn't fearful. She was singing about amazing grace because she knew as she crossed over that great threshold from this life to the next one, she knew who was going to be with her every step of the way. Oh, can I tell you something? The presence of God will confront your doubts, but you've got to make sure you're not letting the circumstances of your life speak louder than the promises of God that he'd never leave you nor forsake you. James 1.16 says, speaking of asking God for wisdom. Oh, I think we could use a whole lot of that today, don't you? I think a lot of people driving up Highway 49 could use a lot of wisdom just based on the people that I follow sometimes. The Bible says, here's, here's what you need to know about wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth them not. But listen to what it says in verse 6. But let him ask in faith. Wait a minute. How do we access wisdom? Faith. Faith, belief. You can't have the wisdom without faith or belief. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, you got to have faith and belief. Listen to what it says. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Can I tell you what these guys were doing on the road to Emmaus? They were driven by the wind. They were tossed. Their emotions were up. Their emotions were down. What happened? They're being tossed. The circumstance, by the way, the winds of circumstance are going to try to blow you all over the road of life. What keeps you going? Watch. It's faith. The Bible says, ask in faith. Why? For he that is wavering, the Bible says, is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. 
He says, you're not touching my wisdom. Without faith, you've got to believe in what you're asking for. And this morning, the reason that we don't have what we need to keep going in the spite of our circumstances is because our circumstances have talked us out of our faith. God hasn't gone anywhere. He's just as near to us as he was here today. What changed? We're going to read here in just a few minutes. The Bible says they had joy. How did they go from being down and out to being full of joy? Well, it was the presence of God. They realized God's not dead. Now, folks, you're maybe on your road to, uh, to uh, Emmaus this morning. You're down. You're discouraged this morning. You've gotten disconnected. I don't know what it is. It happens to all of us, doesn't it? Preachers, too. I get down. I get discouraged. I get disconnected, and here we are in 2022, and we look like these people in verse 17 who our communications are down and our countenance is sad. Can I tell you what you need? I want to show you something real quick, and I'll give you the second point. They get shorter as we go, okay? So if you're visiting with us today, there's hope. I will let you go, okay? I'm preaching short tonight at the outdoor service if I have any voice left, so I need to get all of this in today. I want you to look at verse 32 after they realized his presence watch what happens they said to one another did not our heart burn within us did not our heart burn you know what that means it's not the stuff you can put out with rollades and tums okay you're thinking heartburns in the bible i learned something today it is heartburn but not that kind all of a sudden the fire that had been put out by the circumstances of their life got rekindled when they realized God hadn't gone anywhere. Do you know what we need this morning? We need a good old-fashioned case of spiritual heartburn. That's what we need. I mean, we're, look, you're looking around at all the things in the world. It's just doom and gloom and down and out. Everything's falling apart. No, it's not. Why? Because God's not gone anywhere. And when you realize he's with you, lockstep, every step of the way, his power's here, his peace is here, the plan still matters. All of a sudden, the fire begins to build back up, and you realize, I can proceed. I'm going to move forward in the will of God. Why? Because he hasn't gone anywhere. I'll hurry. George Mueller, I love reading behind him. He says the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Do you know why we have so much worry and doubt and fear? It's because circumstances. I can tell you, well, why do you look the way you do? Why do you act the way you do? Why do you talk the way you do? You seem like your dog died. You seem like everything's falling apart. God's not gone anywhere. Quit believing your circumstances and believe what God said. He says, I'll never leave you, number one. God's presence will confront our doubts. But then watch this. We'll hurry. Turn over, if you will, to verse number 25. I want you to notice what his response was to them. Red letters. This is important. Then he said unto them, O fools. Ooh, that's kind of harsh. Politically incorrect, but spiritually correct. Then he said unto them, O fools, slow, to heart, to, slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And to enter into his glory. And it goes on down to beginning with Moses. He went all the way down through scripture. He was chiding them. Watch what he said. This is great. He said, if you'd have just believed my word, you wouldn't be feeling the way you're feeling. He said, don't you remember what I said? And don't you remember the scriptures? Don't you remember what I told you? If you just remembered what I told you, you wouldn't be feeling down and out and doom and gloom, but suddenly doubt centered in and caused them to doubt the very word of God. And then what happens? Jesus shows up. They don't know it's him yet. 
After he revealed his presence, they began to realize that God was still us. And not only did his presence confront their doubts, watch this. His presence confirmed his word. God's presence will confirm his word in your life. Folks, I'm going to tell you, as God's people, we, I mean, look, we put more stock in what Fox News says than we do what the word of God says. I hear Fox News quoted more than I do scripture. I really do. Well, I Googled this today. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on Google that uh, I'm not sure if it's true or not. Saw a spaceship the other day chasing a Delta flight across Nebraska. Do I want to believe? Yeah, I do. I'm like everybody else. I want to believe that Bigfoot's real. In Louisiana, we had the Rougarou. It's like a, it's like a Wookalar. You know, in Mississippi, we have the Wookalar. Louisiana, they had the Rougarou. You know, and man, you want to believe so bad, but there's not a whole lot of evidence that's there. We read on the, on the internet. Well, I saw it on Google. Fox News is reporting. Can I tell you something? If we put more interest and stock into what thus saith the Lord, watch this, suddenly you'd find you're not as down and out in doom and gloom. Why? Because God's still with us. And he says, watch this, I'm here to confirm my word. I want you to know I've already given you what you need is what he said. I'll tell you this, if the devil can get you to doubt God's presence, it won't be long before he gets you to doubt God's plan. You forget that he's with us, you'll forget what he said. You'll forget what he said. He comes up to them and he he drew near to them and reminded them of what he said. Now you think about these two disciples. Here they are, they're unsure of his presence. We're not sure. You know, they went to the tomb, he's not there. He said he was going to rise and they said the angels talked to them. Can you tell they're just not sure? Can you tell that? All right, they're, just, they're talking to Jesus. We, we know all this happened. It's been three days. The tomb is empty. We're just not sure right now. Do you know? They weren't sure of his presence because they had forgotten his plan. You see, when you forget about God's presence in your life, suddenly you forget about God's plan for your life, and that's why we get worried, and that's why we get fearful. I was thinking about when, he, when Jesus told his disciples, reading about it in Mark this morning, where he says, hey, let's get in the boat. What did he say? Let's go to the other side. So what's the plan? Go to the other side. Okay? Real deep stuff, right? He says, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. Well, they get in the boat, and all of a sudden, the circumstances get bad. Wind begins to blow, and the storm is coming, and all of a sudden, he's back there in the backside of the boat asleep. Master, carest thou not? You see, your circumstances can get so loud, you begin to doubt that God cares for you. I'm guilty. I've been there. Where the winds blow so strong and the waves are so high and the noise is so loud, you begin to doubt whether or not he cares for you. Don't say it hasn't happened because it will. And all of a sudden, we look over and realize he hasn't jumped overboard. He's right there on the boat with him. As a matter of fact, he's asleep. Why? Because he's not worried. And Christ is our example. So he shouldn't be worried. You like with the wind's blowing, but we got Jesus in the boat. <laughs> All right? Uh, some of you are like, Jesus then put on his life vest and jumped over. You're like, he left us here high and dry. He's not gone anywhere. He's still in the boat. And if he's asleep and he has peace, so should you. I don't understand it this morning. I, I really don't. Folks, we're acting like God says, hey, I'll be back to get you later. Going to build a mansion, you're on your own. 
No, he says, lo, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. They go wake him up. Master, carest thou not that, you per- that we perish? What did he say? Oh, he gets up and he says to him, Mark chapter 4, verse 39. He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Pause. What was it they were supposed to be having faith in? His word that we're going to the other side. That's what the faith was in. The faith, listen, the faith wasn't in the sturdiness of the boat. Guys, this is a good boat. I mean, look at it. it it's wood, man. It's made by the finest craftsmen in Jerusalem. That wasn't where their faith was at. Hey, you guys are experienced fishermen. Your faith, hey, you shouldn't have doubted. You're experienced fishermen. Man, you got biceps as big as Brother Lenny's. You can roll this thing. That's not where the faith was at. The faith is in what he said. And what he said was we're going to the other side. That's why he was asleep. Follow his example. Get some rest in 2022. It's going to be okay. God's not gone anywhere. Folks, I believe today he says to us the same thing in Mark 4, 39. Why are you so fearful? You see, the presence of Christ reminded them of his word. That's what God's presence will do in your life. Man, there'll be sometimes I'll be out, out and about, knocking doors. Maybe not in the greatest neighborhood in the world, you know. I was in, I was in one this week. And uh, man, you start looking around, you're thinking, yep, they could take me. I look around like that this morning. I'm like, they could take me. I was in the front row, some of these guys, they could take me, you know. You know, bodily exercise profiteth little. That's why I'm not strong, okay. So, yeah, you could probably take me if you wanted to. And I'll be out there, and I'm like, all right. Probably shouldn't have gone by myself today. Probably should have took Brother Lenny with me, and I probably would have felt a whole lot better. And all of a sudden, watch this. The presence of God in my life reminds me of the word of God, that, lo, I'm with you always. I'm not at that door alone. He's right there with me. The presence of God reminds me of the plan of God. What doubt convinces us to do is to listen to what our circumstances say more than what God said. You know me, I love to study words. I looked up the word doubt in this context can I tell you what it means? It may blow your mind what the word doubt means in the original Greek. It comes from the word psyche, watch this, or psycho. We could go down a road. We're not going to go down there this morning. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm praying, I'm studying, I'm saying, God, I don't get how doubt and being psychotic work together. You know, I doubt sometimes as far as I know, I'm not a psycho. And figure out, now look, I, I'm not discounting mental illness. We just taught on that in our Sunday school class. I mean that. It's very important. It's something I'll be paid attention to and uh, something you shouldn't ignore. But, but hear me out. Have you ever known someone that you thought just kind of went psycho? Right? Okay, let's bring it down to a more, uh, a more convincible level. Have you ever had moments that you went psycho? Okay. Okay. Look, if you've got kids, the answer is yes. If you're married, the answer is yes. If I'm your pastor, the answer is yes. Okay? If, if you're friends with some of the other members in this room, the answer is yes. You've gone psycho. You've lost your mind at times. You're not thinking straight anymore. 
The word doubt means psyche or psycho, the way we think. The reason we doubt is something infiltrates our mind and we lose our spiritual mind and have a carnal mind. You go psycho. Look, I told, I told Sunday school class this morning, 10 minutes to get out of the Walmart parking lot. 10 minutes looking for Christmas tree cakes that I couldn't find. Not only am I frustrated I don't have cakes, I'm sitting for 10 minutes trying to get out of the parking lot. That's 10 minutes of my life I'll never get back. That'll make anybody go psycho. You lose your mind. And then you can tell somebody's up there, they're on their phone. The red light turns green for like three seconds. And they wasted the whole green light on their phone getting a recipe to post from Martha Stewart that nobody cares about. I'm just telling you straight up, you post recipes all the time, I'm probably going to unfollow you, okay? And all of a sudden, I'm about to lose my mind. My hand is getting near the horn, and I'm wanting to hit the horn, but I know that my mind has been infiltrated by carnal thoughts, and I don't do it. I choose to walk in the Spirit and not honk at you. But man, those thoughts try to permeate my mind. You see, that's what doubt is. When you allow the circumstances to lose your spiritual mind, psycho. Look, a lot of Christian people have gone psycho because of our circumstances. You've lost your mind. God's not dead. He has not left us. Emmanuel, God is still with us. All right? Don't lose your mind. Stay focused on the fact that God's still here. And if God's still here, that's all that matters. G. Campbell Morgan was a very... Very mighty man of God, used of God at a very early age. By the age of 19, he had already been used of God to see great spiritual success in campaigns around around the country. G. Campbell Morgan, when he was 19, began reading some books. He was a great reader in reading books by Charles Darwin, John Tyndall, and Thomas Huxley. Books that obviously began to challenge what he believed. Challenged what he believed. Look, Charles Darwin and Jesus don't agree. Well, they do now, but they didn't back then. He started reading these books and suddenly he began to doubt what he had been preaching. Here's a direct quote. I'm no longer sure that this is what my father claims it to be, speaking of the word of God. I'm no longer sure that this is what my father claims it to be, the word of God. But of this I am sure, if this be God's word... And if I come to it with an unprejudiced and open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul of itself. Here's what he did. He took all the other books, put them in a cupboard, and locked it with a key. Gave the key to someone else. He went to the bookstore, bought him a brand new Bible, retreated to his study, and closed the door. He got alone with God, and he got in God's word. He walked out of the room days later, and he said this, this book has found me. This book found me. In the time where the circumstances and all the other voices of the world for evolution were challenging what he knew of God and challenged what he believed. Here's what he did. He got alone in the very presence of God and he allowed God to confirm his word in his heart and he walked out with confidence on the road ahead. Can I tell you this morning, the presence of God wants to confirm his word in your life. But you've got to get back to where you turn off all the other voices. Get off of Google. Come on. Look, I promise you, get on Google to find those Martha recipes, okay? That's good for Google. Get on Google to find out where you can find the Christmas cakes and let me know. But don't get on Google to figure out what you need to believe. Let the presence of God 
confirm the word of God in your life. Oh, we got to hurry, all right, because uh, we got we to get on to the chicken line, right? I look at 2022 and the circumstances that we're living in. They speak loudly. That's why it's important you let the word of God speak louder. That's why, look, every one of you, we're going to give these out next Sunday, uh, our Bible reading list. Oh, it's a wonderful planner, a beautiful planner. It'll last you all year long. It's not going to cost you a dime. Get one of those. Get in the word of God. Why? Because God's presence is going to reveal God's word and confirm it in your life, but you got to know what it says for it to work. Amen? Number two, God's presence confirms his word. He said, if you just listened to what I told you, you wouldn't be so worried. I was amazed to read years ago that the Puritans thought so much of the word of God that in 1647, they passed the first law in this country developing public schools and requiring school for our children. You're thinking, yeah, that was the beginning of the end. No, 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 hear me out. Do you know why? Let me tell you why. I'll quote this for you. They passed in 1647 the old deluder Satan Act, the first law concerning public schools in America. The pilgrims, their goal was to make it to where the children could read and study the Bible for themselves so they would not get deluded by the devil. They started public schools so that our kids could read the Bible for themselves. Why? Because they need to know what thus saith the Lord. They saw it so important. They said, you need to be able to do this for yourself. And oh my goodness, this morning, look how far we've gone from that. We look at our public schools and the problems we're facing today. I mean, every school across the country, we're facing trouble. Why? We've gotten away from the word of God. I'll hurry and I'll give you the last point. Jesus is telling them in Luke 24, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? I want you to notice verse 25. I'm going to hurry. The Bible says, oh, fools and slow to heart. Here's our problem, folks. I'm going to be honest. I have the same problem you do, okay? So I'm right here with you. We're slow to heart. We're slow to heart. That means we read it, but we don't put it in here. We don't hide it in our heart. We're slow to heart. We're quick to Google. We're quick to gossip, but we're slow to heart. You know, if we just took some of this seriously, I promise you, your anxiety would go down. It really would. You might be able to come off some medicine. I'm just being honest. You might be able to, but hey, you're watching the news and your blood pressure is going up. You're worried about everything falling apart. Can I tell you something? God's still with us. And God's presence confirms his word. David Livingston, one of my favorite missionaries. I never read this about him until this week. When he started his trek across Africa, he had 73 books and three packs weighing 180 pounds. After they had gone 300 miles into Africa, the bags were so heavy, the journey was so hard, he had to begin leaving books behind along the way. The story goes, and as best I can tell, this is true. By the time he arrived at his final resting place of where he would serve God from out of his base, the only book he had left was his Bible. He says, that's how much I need God's word. I'm going to let all these others go, and I can afford to leave all these others behind. But I cannot leave behind my Bible. Why? Because that Bible bears witness of what God's plan is for my life. It reminds me of God's presence in my life, and it gives me God's peace in my life. See, that's what the presence of God does. It confirms his word. Finally, let's get to the good part. I told you we're going to end on a good one, and it's good because it's the end and it's the shortest one. Look all the way down, if you will. After a while, he reveals himself to him. They realize they've been in the presence of God. They got spiritual heartburn. Their fire got relit. Keep on reading. They get together with the other disciples, and down in verse number 40, the Bible says, and when he had thus spoken, 
He showed them his hands and his feet. Look at what great effort God is going through to let us know he's still there. Verse 41, and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have you here any meat? He's about to prove it to them. So here's what's happening. The presence of God has confronted their doubts. The presence of God has confirmed his word. Now these people who are, were depressed are now overjoyed. The Bible speaks of their joy. Boy, you look up that verse, it means they were overjoyed. They were joyed beyond belief of what was going on. Suddenly, everything's changed. Why? Because Emmanuel, God, is still with us. This is the best part. The presence of God confronts our doubt, confirms his word. Finally, God's presence completes our joy. God's presence completes our joy. Now, it's very vital you understand how his presence led to their joy. Suddenly, watch this, suddenly the presence of Christ in their life has taken people from being depressed to people that are being impressed, from people who were discouraged to people that are now determined. What changed? They realized the presence of God in their life. He was still there. He had not gone anywhere. Now watch this, watch this. Doubt had robbed them of their belief, all right? And watch this. If you don't believe, it's hard to have joy, isn't it? You see, the circumstances of this world have taken your faith. Now, when circumstances take your faith, they leave you with doubt. That's a byproduct. So now you're left with doubt, and now you don't believe, and now that you don't believe, you don't have any joy in your life. That's why we're sad and our conversations are of such. It's hard to be excited about something you're not sure about. Let that sink in. It's hard to be excited about something you're not sure about. You know, I don't know in here, who in here this morning may have wanted a bicycle for Christmas, all right? Bicycle is kind of that Christmas gift. At least once in your life, you'll probably get one. Uh, if not, I'm sure you have a neighbor. He'll let you ride his, okay? Say you wanted a bike and you ask your mom and dad or you ask your spouse. I know older folks, we start riding bikes to kind of lose some of those pounds from time to time. Say you ask for a bicycle. And a box comes in the mail, and they take it back to the bedroom. They're going to wrap it all up. And mom and dad or your spouse comes out of the room, and I have a picture I want to show you. This is what you see under the tree on, on Christmas morning. It's all wrapped up, man. You know, I want to shake the hand of people like that. I really do. That is just die hard. Can I tell you something? Watch. You can't see the bike. You can't see the bike. But you believe it enough to start getting excited. You've seen enough. You've seen enough. Your heart begins to race. And man, all of a sudden you start thinking. You see yourself cruising down the neighborhood. Maybe one of those bicycles with a mohawk helmet on it, man. And you're just excited about it. Hey, I'm going to get a bike. So wait a minute. You don't know that's a bike. The bike's covered up. No, you've seen enough to start believing. And that belief produces what? wait a minute, you haven't even opened it yet. Oh, but you believe it enough that you're already having joy about what you haven't possessed yet. Now watch this, watch this. I haven't seen how God's going to work all this out. I don't know. I don't know if interest rates are going down. I have no clue. I don't know if they're ever going to make Christmas cakes again in 2022. I don't know. But what I've seen enough about, I believe enough to give me joy for the road ahead. Now listen to me this morning. God has shown us enough. 
He's told us enough. I mean, look, you look around the creation of this world. It's clear that what was made here was made by something that we can't see. But boy, you've seen enough to realize, you know what? Yes, there is a God. And if you've trusted him, watch this, he's your God. He's yours. And I want you to know he hasn't gone anywhere. Joy comes from the assurance of knowing he's still with us. He's still with us. But wait a minute, you can't see him. I've seen enough. I've seen enough. I've seen him work in my life. I've seen him work in his word. I've seen enough to believe it even though I haven't possessed it yet. And can I tell you something this morning, Christian? You ought to let the God's presence in your life complete your joy. Well, I'll tell you what. If, no, 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 no if. We talked about contentment last week. God's presence is enough to bring joy in your life. What changed? Did all of a sudden the Pharisees decide they were going to repent? No, they were still there. Are people not going to want to kill them now that Jesus has showed up? No, no, no. They're still going to die. But all of a sudden they have this great joy in their life. Why? Because of what they believe. You see, that God's presence in their life has brought a complete joy. When you get to the place that you find joy in God's presence in your life, you'll never lose your joy. You'll never lose your joy. Maybe that's why God allows circumstances to get us down for us to realize where our faith was at. Our joy is ultimately a reflection of our faith. I told my wife this last night. We're on our way home from Brother Michael and Miss Evelyn's house. We go down the road. I began preaching to her what I was going to preach this morning. I said, I just got to tell you, and I'm, I'm done, okay? I said, this truth has been a blessing to my heart. She says, what? My countenance is a reflection of my belief. That's why David says that the Lord was the health of his countenance. And no matter my circumstances, I can have joy. Why? Because of what I believe. I may not possess it yet, and I may not have the bike as my own, but I believe it enough. And I believe it so much that I already have joy in advance. You think about that. Because God is who God is. And God promised never to leave us nor forsake us. You can go ahead and start having joy about what's coming. Because you believe it that much. Oh, that God may help us this morning to realize that his presence is all that we need to have complete joy in our life. Well, I wait for the economy to pick up and interest rates to go down and all this, that, and the other. Oh, you're going to be a Scrooge before you die. You're going to be a miserable curmudgeon. And I'm not sure what a curmudgeon is, but I don't think they're good things. That's who you're going to be because your joy is based on all of these other things when the truth of... The matter is, we have the joy of the Lord. That's our strength. It's the joy of the Lord. Can I beg you something this morning? Can I just beg you? Regardless of the road you're on this morning, you may be on an Emmaus, and your countenance is down, your confidence is down, your conversation is down. There's no reason this morning. Emmanuel, God is still with us. He has not gone anywhere. His power, his presence, his peace, his plan is all still in effect. And if we as God's people this morning will realize that, you know what it's going to do? Suddenly it's going to confront your doubt. Next thing you know, it's going to confirm God's word. And oh, then it's going to complete the joy in your life that you've been wanting. Are you down this morning? Are you discouraged this morning? Are you just disconnected this morning? There's no reason to be. God's still with us. And God wants you to be as close to him as he was to them. Here's what God wants to do, and I'm, I'm really done. The Bible says that Jesus drew near. He wanted to be close so that he could dispel all that doubt, confirm his word, and refill their joy. Are you close this morning? Are you 
close. You realize he's, he's not God anywhere. We can have joy looking forward to what we believe, for faithful is he that's promised. Now, this morning, you may be here and you've never trusted Christ. Oh, you're as separated from God as you ever will be. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. But, oh, God desires that you be in his presence. You say, well, how do you know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What we'll celebrate next week was all so that God could bring you close again, so that he could confront your doubts, confirm his word, and complete your joy. The question is, will you draw near to him? He's knocking. He's reaching out. He wants to have you close. But, oh, he's going to let you decide. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Emmanuel, God is still with us. Can I ask you something? Listen closely. Don't answer out loud. Don't look around. Have your circumstances shaken your certainty? Have your circumstances shaken your certainty? Has your adversity affected your attitude? Are you cynical? Is your conversation like verse 17, you're down and out and you're sad and you're looking at what God did as something in the past we had hoped Oh, no, can I tell you something this morning? God's not gone. God's still here. God wants to work in your life today. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, why don't you draw near to him before it's eternally too late? Father, thank you for your word today, and thank you for the great peace we have knowing that we have Emmanuel, God, with us and still with us. You promised you'd never leave us. And, Lord, that's the reason for our hope today, because of believing that you're working in the midst of our circumstances, even we don't understand. Help us not be guilty of verse 17, that our conversation and our countenance be down and sad because, Father, the circumstances of life, but help us have confidence because we know that faithful is he that promised that you're still with us today. Father, I pray that, Lord, as we leave here, that we'll leave here with someone that has something that somebody else would want because our circumstances have not stolen our joy. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today. If we're doubting, if we're doubting your plan, your will, and your way, help us to see, Father, that our faith is low. For those that are lost, help them to come and be saved today. Lord, that's what this season is all about. Lord, I pray no one would leave here with an uncertainty and doubt about whether heaven's their home. Help them not hesitate to step right out, come down front this morning, and be saved. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. The altar's open. If God has dealt with my heart today, I wouldn't hesitate and wait for my neighbor, my spouse. I'm moving. I'm not going to walk one more road, a step on the road to Emmaus, down and out, discouraged, disconnected. Nope. I want my joy back. Wait. Why am I downcast? Why am I sad? God hasn't gone anywhere. If you're not careful, your faith is going to show up on your face. Your countenance is going to reflect your belief.